Thanks very much, Ed. Uh, my name is Matt. I'm one of the leaders here at Hope City. It's my privilege this morning to help us learn together um, from what God has said to us. And we've been working recently uh, through where well, we did six months in Jesus's famous Sermon on the Mount. We've just finished that. And at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the crowds are amazed because Jesus teaches, they say, as one who has authority. And now, after that, we've started into the next kind of narrative section telling the story of Jesus' life. And what we're seeing is that Jesus acts as one who has authority as well. Last week, Ed showed us he was willing and able to cleanse from leprosy. And uh, this morning, we're going to see what else he is able to do. We're going to see how far his authority extends. And Cameron's going to read for us this morning. And we're in our blue Bibles on page 972. And it's Matthew chapter 8. Uh, starting at verse 5 and running through to verse 17. Matthew chapter 8, 5 through 17, and it's page 972. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed, and he said to those following him, truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all who were ill. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and he bore our diseases. Thanks, Cameron. If you notice there on the screens, it said sick, and Cameron said ill. Um, that's just the uh, anglicized, the English versus the American translation. And our Bible software only has the American translation. So there you go. Just if you're paying attention. Now, here's the thing. Jesus describes exactly two things as amazing in his entire time with us that's recorded for us in the Bible. Two things that's amazing. One thing that's amazing, he's amazed at the lack of faith in his hometown. He's amazed at the lack of faith. He goes back to his hometown and he can hardly do anything there because they're like, oh, that's just Jesus. He's just the carpenter's son, right? The other thing he's amazed at, he's amazed at this centurion. When Jesus heard this, he's amazed at the centurion's faith. Now, it's pretty stand out to amaze Jesus. Particularly, it's pretty stand out to amaze Jesus in a, in a good way, to get that epic accolade 
from Jesus. It's not like he doesn't throw it around like epic or awesome like today, you know, get uh, that sort of thing. So we're going to start by digging into what it is that makes this centurion's faith amazing. Why is this amazing faith? And it definitely isn't amazing simply to believe that Jesus could heal. Now, plenty of people believe that. Uh, last week, we read about somebody with leprosy. Now, leprosy at the time, it was a death sentence. There was no recovery. It was considered uh, incurable, lifelong isolation, and then a terrible death. Now, believing Jesus could heal even him, the leper says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. So the, the leper's got this faith that believes that he can be cleansed. Jesus wasn't amazed then. Earlier, we saw people from the, the whole area being brought to Jesus with all kinds of problems. Matthew 4.24, just before the Sermon on the Mount, they came to him with all kinds of problems. Perhaps some came just with a, a distant hope. Maybe this Jesus can do something. I don't know. I'm sure many came with faith, though, that Jesus really could actually heal, particularly as time went on and on, and there were more people around who Jesus has healed. More people known to have been healed by Jesus. Definitely they have faith that Jesus can heal. But he wasn't amazed. So is it then that this centurion believes Jesus can heal at a distance? Up until now, Jesus has only done kind of touch healings or nearby healings. He was in the room where it happened. And now the centurion's got great faith because it's a long way away. Well, perhaps, but that, that hardly seems like an amazing distinction of faith, doesn't it? Like, you know, believing in Wi-Fi healing versus wired healing. It's not like a, a, a massive step up. I don't think, really, it's his faith about what Jesus can do that makes him amazing. Not the faith about what he can do that Jesus is impressed by. I think it's his faith about how come Jesus can perform these acts. And perhaps even more, about who he will do it for. That is what makes this faith amazing. Let me, let me unpack those two for you a little bit, right? So... Uh, imagine, imagine Jesus is here today in Scotland. He's walking around healing every sick person who comes to him. Now, most people, I don't think, would give a hoot about how he can do this. You know, maybe it's magic meditation or special pills or, or incantations. Who cares? Because people are being healed. Who cares? Because it works. He'd be mobbed with people after healing. I bet more and more people would rush towards Jesus with the faith that he could heal as they saw that he did heal, as they saw the mounting evidence. But, but that's like a completely different order of faith, Jesus is saying, to believing something about how come Jesus can heal. And that how come faith is the sort of faith that's amazing to Jesus, the sort of faith that this centurion actually has. See, he believes that Jesus can heal because he believes Jesus speaks with authority. He speaks with God's authority. Just like he says, just like a centurion acts and speaks with the emperor's authority. He sees his own position as a centurion, as a commander over a hundred, or perhaps there's some debate, but over lots of soldiers. He sees his authority over them flowing from Caesar, and he sees in that a picture of how Jesus' authority works, just at smaller scale. I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go. I tell that one, come. I tell my servant, do this, and he does it. The centurion can boss people around, soldiers, servants. He can issue commands and things happen. Why is that the case? Why? Not because he's so persuasive, not because they like him so much, 
not even because he himself will beat them up if they don't, but because when he speaks, he speaks with the emperor's authority. He's under authority. The soldiers are under him. To disobey his orders isn't just disobeying his orders. Disobeying his orders is disobeying the emperor. That's why things happen. Now, this centurion faith, the faith he's commended for, is the amazing faith that grasps Jesus need only say the word to heal people because Jesus speaks with God's authority. To disobey him is to disobey God. That's the, that's the point Jesus was making to us at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, if you were with us there. Jesus talks about obeying the words of God, the commands of God, and obeying the words of Jesus as being the same thing, as determining whether you will enter his kingdom or not. That's why nature obeys his command as well. That's why he can heal with a word. That's why he can bend nature to his will. He's not a mere miracle worker. He speaks with God's authority. Now, Jesus commends the centurion's amazing faith, faith in what Jesus can do, heal with a word, faith in how come, because Jesus speaks with God's authority. But there's one more thing that makes the centurion's faith amazing, and that is his faith about whom Jesus will help. Now, I never quite know when you're meant to use who and when you're meant to use whom, so apologies for getting that the wrong way around, if that's the wrong way around. Grammar, not my strong point, at least English grammar. <clears throat> so there you go. Who will Jesus help? This last factor marks out the centurion's amazing faith. It might not seem so obvious as we read through the passage just there, but we need to pay attention because, as we'll see, Jesus gives lots of attention to this aspect of the centurion's faith. He gives it special emphasis. Now, it would have been blindingly obvious to the original audience that the centurion had a major problem in coming to Jesus. First up, the centurion represents and works for the Romans, a hostile nation occupying Israel at the time, viewed by most of the Jewish people as the great oppressor. So you want to get a picture for this today. Imagine a Russian military commander in occupied Ukraine. That's, that's the kind of feel they have for the Romans. He's wielding the authority of the powerful invading oppressor. He's hated by most. Now, Luke, another of the biblical writers, tells this same story. So we get some extra background here uh, in Luke chapter 7, if you want to look at that later. And it seems actually this particular centurion is a bit of a standout. So he doesn't um, have necessarily that same relationship with the wider people. He uh, is trying to win the hearts and minds, we might say, of the Jews. But still, he's a Roman. It's not just, though, that invader, that oppressor uh, identity which puts up barriers for the centurion. Of course, he is a, a Gentile. That is, he is not Jewish. He's a non-Jew, and that means that he is unavoidably excluded from the heart of Jewish community, uh, excluded from Jewish religion, excluded from Jewish worship. They wouldn't eat together. They wouldn't enter each other's homes. Jews were separate, and they treasured that separate identity as God's chosen and special people. This centurion wasn't one of them. Uh, he was an outsider. So what right, what chance does he have of God's help through Jesus? And in fact, lots of commentators see Jesus flagging up exactly this with his initial response. Now see this, Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? We read that and we're like, well, I don't know. We might just think Jesus is looking for some guidance on how the centurion wants to proceed. You know, shall I come and heal him or shall I make you some toast? What, 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 what do you want? Was there some other help you were looking for? 
But that's a bit odd. It's kind of obvious what the centurion wants Jesus to do, isn't it? Of course he wants healing for his beloved servant. He's not looking for decorating advice. What we don't see so easily, what we can't hear as we read through the pages of the Bible, is Jesus' tone, is the emphasis he puts on things. But in the original language this is written in, um, it's written in Greek. There's a bit more hidden under the covers, and there's a, what's called an emphatic first-person pronoun, which is basically Jesus just underlining the I. So we might read this as, shall I, myself, come and heal me? Shall I come and heal him? Now, lots of commentators read this as actually Jesus expressing surprise, being uh, a little bit skeptical, maybe standoffish about the centurion's request. And they, they argue this is precisely because he's a Gentile. He's not one of this Jewish people. They point out the only other distance healing recorded for us in Matthew's whole gospel is another distance healing for a Gentile. And in that distance healing, you get exactly the same question. Am I really going to do this for you? Should I really do this for you? Matthew 15, 21, if you want to look that up later. There's loads of parallels between those two passages. So first up, he's a Roman, okay? Second, he's a Gentile. Third, even more than this Gentile-Jew divide, he knows he's not worthy. Look at verse 8. Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. Now, like I mentioned already, Jews don't mix with Gentiles. Is that just what's going on here? wouldn't normally enter a Gentile home. I, I don't think that's the main reason the centurion doesn't think he deserves to have Jesus come under his roof. He's not just trying to avoid the taboo and work around it. He uh, actually recognizes something bigger. He, he recognizes he is simply not worthy at all of the help he is asking for. And you can see it's not just this taboo, because when you look at the parallel telling of this story in Luke chapter 7, the centurion doesn't just think he's unworthy of Jesus coming to him in his house. He also says over there, I'm not worthy to come to you. So he knows it's the, it's the worthiness altogether. I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. It's not simply that taboo. Okay, so back to what's amazing about the centurion's faith. Okay, he believes Jesus can heal. He believes Jesus can heal from a distance. He believes Jesus can do that because he has God's authority. But most amazing of all, he believes Jesus can do that even for the undeserving, even for the Roman, even for the Gentile, even for the unworthy. His amazing faith, the faith that Jesus calls out as amazing, as it turns out, is a faith that believes in and grasps God's grace. A faith that Jesus will give us what we don't deserve. That's, that's what's amazing about his faith. Now, it is faith that Jesus can heal. Perhaps faith that believes Jesus should heal people, perhaps because I've earned it and I'm Jewish and I'm one of God's people, or I go to church and I pray a lot. Amazing faith grasps the much bigger truth that Jesus helps the unworthy. God is in the business of saving people who don't deserve it. God is in the business of saving by grace through faith for his glory. The centurion feels himself unworthy, but he has amazing faith that Jesus will bless exactly the unworthy. Now, there's a lot about faith and healing in today's passage. I think that raises a big question that I just wanted to take some time to address directly we should take head on. What is the connection today between faith and healing? 
how does this work today? Now, some people read Jesus' words in this passage. Let it be done just as you believed it would. And they conclude, well, if we had enough faith, then healings would be done for us too, just as we believed it would. If we just believed like that centurion, the centurion-like way, if we had better faith, healing would just be done. We'd see any and every sickness and disease healed here today as well. Now, as we read on through Matthew's gospel, we are going to see a lot of connection between faith and healing. It's going to be repeatedly emphasized that faith is a part of what's going on there. Jesus can feel good and right calling for a greater level of faith. Calling for the same sort of amazing faith in a Jesus who will bless the unworthy, who can heal because he's got God's authority, who can heal at a distance still today. But at the same time, the truth is many of us struggle with a need for healing mentally and physically still. Now, if we think the barrier to that is simply the quality of our faith, that we're still sick and suffering basically because ultimately we just don't believe hard enough, don't believe in that same amay, that's pretty crushing. But I want to challenge that idea, okay? Hang on one minute. Think that Jesus called out the centurion's faith as exceptional, amazing. What does that mean about the faith of all those other people who were healed? Not exceptional. Not amazing. Yeah? They didn't have that kind of faith. It wasn't five star and above, healing. Everyone else, nothing for you. No. Look, Matthew 8, 16, he drove out the spirits with a word, healed all the sick. That's the end of the passage we read today. He healed all of them despite their four star or below faith, despite their conspicuously not amazing faith. So the passage definitely does not teach us. Have amazing faith like the centurion, definitely get healed. Like, that's definitely not what it's saying. But then, if healing is possible even with two-star faith, why aren't we all healed today? What we've got to see is the Gospels are giving us a window into a unique moment in time when Jesus, God himself, walked the earth. Each day, there was a unique physical place where Jesus' feet, the feet of heaven, touched this earth. People actually saw. Now, Jesus would often heal all the people who came to him. Crowds got healing. They got the deliverance they were looking for. But actually, even in Jesus' day, there are plenty of people who didn't get healed. There must have been many sick and suffering who never came across Jesus, never found him on one of his ministry days. And after Jesus dies and rises again and ascends into heaven, although we continue to read about healings, we also read about not healings. We read about people who are not healed. Paul, one of Jesus' first followers, would have got a gold star for quality of faith. If anyone did, yet he tells us about a thorn in the flesh, he calls it. He prays about it. He asks for healing three times. He doesn't get it. Sickness is a, a part of our broken world. When we, when we read about Jesus healing all who come to him, well, that doesn't fully restore our broken world. It's like a, it's, it's like a plaster that you put on, on a part of a wound, a plaster which... Uh, soon comes loose. Everyone in that crowd who Jesus heals, you know what happens next? They die. They go on to die still. Something much bigger than healing is actually needed to mend our world. And Jesus's healing of people is really just a foretaste of that renewed and greater healing, that restoration. And Jesus's healing is also a marker of the one who's going to bring it. See, when Matthew, who's writing this gospel for us, 
reflects on all this healing going on when he thinks about, well, what does this mean? What's happening here? What's the significance? He doesn't see it as a, a blanket promise. He doesn't see it as a special faith test. Here's how he sees it. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, Isaiah. He took up our infirmities. He bore our diseases. Matthew understands all this healing as a sign. That's what it's for, a sign. Jesus is healing everyone, not because that's just the deal when there's amazing faith or because he's like a slot machine. You put something in the top, pull the handle, and out comes your healing. He's doing it because this is a sign of the truer and greater things he's going to do, how he's truly and greatly and ultimately going to rescue us from this broken world, from its trouble, from its hurt, from its sickness, from its sorrows, from its disease. Jesus is revealing his identity as the one the prophet Isaiah had foretold 800 years earlier. One who's going to do so much more than simply heal a few people in a crowd. Did you notice in the middle of all this story about healing, Jesus starts talking about a feast, a party. Verse 11. Now maybe that feels out of place that you start talking about a party. But I think Jesus does that because that's a picture of where we're going to find ourselves after this ultimate rescue. That's a picture of the ultimate hope. And that, that ultimate hope is bound up with the amazing faith of the centurion. Right, this healing now, no, two-star people get healing. That ultimate hope, the amazing faith of the centurion. None of us live in the way we should. None of us truly and fully obey God. None of us belong by right in God's kingdom because we don't live the life of that kingdom we've been reading about in the Sermon on the Mount for these last months. And yet, we can have a sure hope that we'll be a part of that kingdom, that one day we'll celebrate and feast with these giants of the faith. Maybe you don't know their names. Maybe you don't know their stories. But these are giants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. And do you know why we can hope for that? Because of what the centurion grasps, that Jesus gives us what we don't deserve. Entrance to that kingdom, admittance to that feast, isn't on the basis of being born into the right family. Isn't on the, the basis of earning it by good behavior. It's on the basis of faith in the one who earned it for us. This long prophesied figure that Jesus has just signposted himself as being. When Matthew quotes that ancient prophecy, which is being fulfilled in front of them, as Jesus heals the people coming to him, do you know, he assumes and he expects us to think of the rest of it. He expects us to think about, well, what comes next? He expects us not just to take that one piece, but to add it up. And look at what comes next. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Uh, the punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds, we're healed. Now, Jesus' healing ministry is a sign for us, a, a sign that he's this promised one, a sign that he'll not just heal bodies, but he'll provide the greatest and the truest healing of all. He's going to provide healing from our transgression, our iniquities. Those are complicated, old-fashioned words, but we can simply understand them as all the ways we fail to be what we should, uh, in thought, in word, in deed. Jesus offers us a true and a greater healing, which is going to bring us peace. 
That's what he told us there. A healing which will see us safe home into his kingdom of heaven. A healing that will see us welcomed into that forever party. And he offers us that through amazing faith. Amazing because it's a faith that believes Jesus gives us what we don't deserve. That's how many are going to end up there from the east and the west, from all over the world. Did you see that? Many will come in from the east and the west. Not just a few, many will come in. Now, Jesus has this absolute authority, authority ultimately to invite whoever he likes into his kingdom and to reject whoever he likes from his kingdom, just like he taught us at the close of the Sermon on the Mount. And he wants to include even me. He wants to include even you in his kingdom, in his heaven. He wants to bring us that ultimate healing from sin, from sickness, from sorrow, from brokenness, from disease, and bring us safe into that promised feast with the faithful. And the sort of faith that impresses Jesus is the sort of faith that grasps that. God saves the unworthy. Faith like that that marks out who will be welcomed into heaven versus who's going to be thrown outside, not how you grew up or which family you're from. Many Jews assumed they would be there, right? But they didn't have this amazing faith in Jesus' identity and mission. They didn't think they needed it. So we have to ask ourselves the question, well, do do I have that sort of amazing faith? If you're not sure, or if you're sure you don't, here's an encouragement for you, an encouragement we read from Jesus himself. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Right? Everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, the door will be opened. Ask and keep on asking because as Paul, one of Jesus' first followers, explained to the ancient Christians in Ephesus, that amazing faith you're looking for is the gift of God. Ephesians 2.8, for it's by grace you've been saved through faith, this amazing faith, an amazing faith that believes God would rescue the unworthy. And where does that faith come from? Not from yourself. It's the gift of God. Let's pray.